From Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in one of a two-part collection in Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. In this episode, we talk with Sarah Yu and Beth, developers of Bugaboo Pocket, to discuss characterization in pet management games. And so, if everyone is ready, let's talk about bugs! <laughs> so... Okay. Yeah, so, <laughs> so Sarah and Beth, we had uh, Stephen and I met you at GDC earlier this year, right? Um, and uh, for folks who want to listen to our discussion uh, with you, then we have that. We'll put that in the show notes that uh, previous episode. But Ellen, this is the first time you're meeting these wonderful developers, and um, and we. It's nice because it's such a the the game you're making is about bugs, <laughs> and there's just something so pure and lovely about it. And so it's nice to see Ellen excited about something that Stephen and I have a little bit of knowledge about. So I think a lot of this is going to be Ellen discovering the world of Bugaboo Pocket in the way that we already have. But it's been a number of months since we've talked to you last. Right. So there's going to be a lot new. But really, we're here to talk about like a larger topic, characterization in pet management games. And I need someone to explain to me exactly what that means. <laughs> We, okay, uh, we we sh- we should ask our guests this maybe. Yeah, because I think yeah. it's gonna be. <laughs> I'm, we're all gonna be guiding the conversation in in some direction. I feel like every three seconds, I'm just gonna say bugs. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll step back. So Ellen will be no help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how would you define that? Well, uh, I can I can say what it means for us. Yeah. I think uh, we have a, a unique challenge. Because there are a lot of people who don't necessarily think that bugs are cute and lovable. So it's even more important for us to to really have our players develop empathy for these creatures. Um, one of the big things that we're trying to do is express have the bugs express, express emotion, um, show that your actions actually impact the bug's life. We want you to actually have an emotional connection with the bug, be sad when the bug dies, be happy when the bug is doing well. And we have a lot of different things that we have designed around that to try to reinforce, you know, that narrative. Um, and I think Beth could probably talk a bit about the art and how you kind of tackle that from a visual standpoint. Yeah, for sure. I'm actually very lucky because we're doing pixel art and it's fairly low resolution. And when you look at bugs, the things that I think a lot of people would find kind of um, off-putting or creepy, it's going to be the things like little hairs and the things where when you zoom in really close, they become um, kind of otherworldly. And when you're dealing with pixels, I don't really have a lot of options there because I can't do those little details like little hairy legs. I think that's out. Yeah. Yeah. Can't do it. You need to add some thickness to the limbs and... And so it's actually benefited me just to be working within this art form. Um, but even things like I try to look for what is, I would say, probably the cutest aspect of a certain bug. Yeah. And then just lean in very like heavily. So in most cases, like you'll see bugs have those big eyes and big eyes are stereotypically seen as cuter. And so we just kind of zoom in real close to the face. And just, yeah, let, let the bug's natural cuteness take over. <laughs> yeah. And I think kind of like to that point, the scale is really important mm. because I've heard a lot of people 
when they actually see a bug up close, I if they're not, you know, grossed out. Right. They're actually really like impressed by like how complex like their their life is and like what what the world like looks like to them. And so we really wanted it to be a very zoomed in like I don't know, world for the bug. So you actually kind of see the world as the bug would see it. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, that it's interesting. All of this is rotating around that 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 concept of empathy that you brought up at the top. Yeah, and I think that is what I think separates games like these from other simulation or um, kind of sim games like a Sim City or or The Sims or something like that, where it's yeah. And I never really considered that difference, mm. but uh, but there isn't much else. Like that empathy is maybe the core feature, and then everything else can kind of it's sort of up to you how you manage it. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting because I guess I would have initially thought of like The Sims as a game where there would be empathy, but that's just because I, it's how I play The Sims. Yeah, well, that might be a bad example. That's kind of in between, well, right? Because you do kind of fall in love with your little pet human. But at the same time, a lot of times people talk about you know making a room and removing all the doors, and then The Sims are just stuck in the room, right? And they can't go to the bathroom. You wouldn't do that to a Pokemon. No, <laughs> you would. I mean, maybe or, some kids would. Right? You're like leaning. You're, some of what the design decisions that you're making are to lean into that empathy and kind of lean into well, like the nurturing behind it. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that brings up like your history with this genre. And um, you told us before we started that the two of you have a very different uh, uh, sort of backstory approach to this type of game. And that informed how you're making this one. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I am actually a huge fan of the digital pet genre. You know, there's a picture of me like when I was eight years old and I actually strung my Tamagotchi around a piece of string and I was like wearing it as a necklace. And I was very proud of that. Um, and so since that age, I've played a number of different, um, pet care and other simulation games. And I've always, you know, I've always loved them. I've always felt, you know, devastated when my pet dies. I've always been very invested in how my, how my pet is raised. And so that seemed like a natural sort of game for me to make. But of course, you know, the two of us are making it together. So yeah, and I was the one who, when I was playing Sonic Adventure, would absolutely skip raising Chows. Like that was not. Whoa, that was not me. Which okay. is, I know horrible. And I've just never heard of that before, but I, I, I imagine it existed. <laughs> oh, That's yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. It's a theoretical, like, uh, you know, person right here for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just I'm so I'm into like more twitchy gameplay. So sure. the idea mm -hmm. of of caring for something on that level. I'm like, yeah, it wasn't necessarily for me, mm -hmm. um, but I appreciate it. And I find it to be a, a fascinating idea, the carrying around a digital pet and watching it grow. And I, I love the idea of it. I definitely want to create that. Right. Right. And so if I could find some way to, to inject the stuff that I love into a digital pet game, and maybe that would, get other people who aren't really into the genre to be more into it. Right. You can, you can sort of take a look at the things that made you bounce off of it and make sure that there's a little bit of a, of a shallower slope for folks like you to, to, to enter into this game. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the idea of making a game that, that both of us would like, like someone yeah, who really yeah. loves a digital pet will want to play it. And someone who's like maybe not really into it will still get some enjoyment. Like that's ultimately where we are. We're making this game like for us. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing is that as a as a creator, especially as a visual designer, you have a different relationship to these creatures because you're creating them. So that's kind of a like you can invest that sort of love and care for them. You don't have to as you personally don't have to as a player necessarily. Um, right. Absolutely. But, but it, it it's nice that you are going the extra step to make sure that it is ultimately a game that you would like, even if you didn't make it. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. No, it's it's been really fun, like doing, um, like creating little mini games, which are that's definitely like more for me. But if yeah. I could find a way to get someone who's like really not into that sort of gameplay to sit and play and want to play those sort of little games, like that's that's where I feel like I can contribute to this beyond just the artistic vision. So, Sarah, as yeah. the expert in the genre, like what what. How has it changed since you were, you know, that that photo of you was taken? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I think that in some ways it's changed and in other ways um, it hasn't changed that much. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there, I think for me, um, there are a lot of things that I'd like to see in digital pet games that I don't necessarily, um, I haven't necessarily seen in current games. I think one thing that we knew as a constraint was that we didn't want to do genetics, which is actually a huge part of a lot of digital pet games mm. um, today. Um, the earliest Tamagotchis, of course, didn't have genetics because, you know, the, the Tamagotchis just weren't powerful enough. Um, but the, the new um, Tamagotchis and other digital pet games do tend to uh, really focus on that. Mm. And we wanted to go a different route. Right. You and did- so since we wanted to... Sorry? Yeah, yeah, you didn't want to make uh, my first uh, eugenics lab, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're a tiny team, mm-hmm. and um, there are just other things that we think we could do. Because and one big thing, we wanted to keep the bugs actually true to bugs that live in the world. So mm-hmm. every bug that we have is actually a, a real-life species. So if you add genetics into that, that actually, you know, kind of makes that impossible unless right. you're breeding the exact species. Yeah. And then it doesn't get to be as interesting. Right. To, um, to support the variety, you had have to discard that because a lot of the, the genetics based games are just like very fantastical. You're merging dragons to make different dragons or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. you exactly. can't you can't in real life merge like a butterfly with a centipede. Don't. Yeah, I mean that would be awesome, but <laughs> you and I have different reactions. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, you, like or said, someone's worst nightmare. Yeah, there, there's a resources angle to it, but you said it. It's like the you have a a, a design a reason for not doing that. Um, it, it's not just a, or maybe one led to the other, but now you have a very um, um, uh, instead of a negative reason, as you have a positive reason not to do it. And that's that's a good lesson for developers who, uh, like most of us, have no resources to speak of. Yeah. Is you know take those limitations and find a reason to go that way, right? Yeah. And so we're really focusing on the bug's personality. Mm-hmm. And so that changes based on um, how you raise the bug. And that really actually impacts the progression of the story. And that way you do get a, a very, um, you know, varied experience depending on, you know, how you raise your bug. But it isn't to the level of uh, genetics. And it's also, you know, we have one artist. So yeah, no, I'm not. I'm, I can't. I can't go <laughs> hundreds of variations of one type of bug. I did no. You don't want to draw not, a centipede with butterfly wings. 
I mean, I want to get this this game out. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the big one. Yeah, I don't want to work on this game for like ten years. I mean, it's fun, yeah. but I want people to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, as someone who's worked on a game for seven years, I can tell you it's not a very fun experience. <laughs> By the time you get to the end of it, so, uh, I get yeah, that. we've we've already had some people. So we, um, I think we, our first Twitter post about the game was. A, l- a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half, and there are already some people who are like, "Where's the game?" Aww. So, um, it's coming. Yeah, we're, it's coming. Give us time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So you, you mentioned that the bugs have personality traits, and I remember it's been a very long time since I've played a Tamagotchi game, but I remember Tamagotchis had little, a bit like little quirks and stuff that made them unique from other people's Tamagotchis, aside from just their visuals. Um, so can you go into detail a little bit more about like what, how you've used personality to define like the, the different bugs? Yeah. I, I, I don't want to give away everything because some of that like dis- you discover through the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but for example, each bug starts off with a certain base traits and we try to base that on like a bug's actual personality. So say you're raising a praying mantis. Praying mantis would naturally be more aggressive than an isopod, potentially, because they're hunters, um, and so on and so forth. And so you can kind of like lean into that and be like, okay, I'm gonna raise a super aggressive, you know, mantis that's just gonna like you drop the food and they're just gonna go after it and rip it apart. Or you could try to like challenge yourself and raise, you know, more a more kind and and passive sort of mantis, you know, um, and a lot of that is, uh, is based on, you know, how, how you interact with the bug. So for example, you can either feed the bug immediately, or you can kind of tease the bug with food, for example, and what, like, depending on how you decide to actually feed the bug, that actually does change their interaction with food when you, uh, you know, when you actually, like, raise the bug, I think it's normal for a lot of people. Like, if it's easy to get cake, you have a different reaction than if it, it took you, you know, you had to fight with your brother for cake, for yeah. example, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know? So um, that's just that's just one example. And we have a lot of other ones um, that we don't necessarily want to reveal because we do kind of want people to discover um, how, how uh, their impact, like, their actions, even the smallest ones, actually impact the bug. So I'll give one more away. So you can rename the bug, mm. but if you rename the bug too many times, it actually does impact the bug's personality. I mean, uh, I think oh. that's also, that's common. That, that'd be the same for anyone. Yeah, right? yeah, if you yeah. Have different name changes, that is like, that will impact you psychologically. Not to get too deep about it. Yeah. But. yeah. Well, I like that. That's a really effect, like a very effective way to take a, a, a very simple mechanic and give it some meaning uh, without having to develop a ton of new systems to, to, to bring this sort of narrative element to it. Um, that's really, really clever. I like that a lot. Yeah, just base features that people would expect from a digital pet game because kind of like you said, we are a tiny team, so we're trying to be really smart with like our mechanics and our resources. So just kind of expanding off of that has been our goal. Um, so how many pets can you have in the game and I'm curious your thoughts as to like how many pets is too many pets for like a pet management game. Yeah, like what's the right number and how do you know that's the right number? Right. Cuz like the Sims that you just you can just throw humans at it and <laughs> just have a ton, right? Well, there's but, two angles to it too. There's yeah. how many is the right number for like 
the player for the best experience yeah. with the design you're making. And then how many are we going to make uh, Beth draw? <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Good point. Good point. <laughs> I, I mean, like I grew up on, I, I'll call it the farm for lack of a better term because mm-hmm. we didn't produce product to sell. But, you know, we went through a lot of animals and I know that's horrible. That's just a horrible thought. But we like we had quite the pet cemetery just because we had a lot of pets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't feel like we had too many pets at the time. I would say we probably had too many. <laughs> uh, literally running out of space. Um, but I think like f- for huh, at least in the game and I would say even in like in life, I think having more than just like one or two is cool. Like that's cool. You can get a really good connection to an animal. Um, and I think in the game, it's still it's still up for discussion, but ideally we're going to have like one bug being raised at a time. Mm. Okay. Makes it easy. You're not going to get confused when you go from one to the other. You kind of like can, can keep one in your sights versus, you know, getting confused when you try to, I don't know. I don't want to give up too much of the game. But I think if you're just trying to create or influence one animal's uh, thought process or decisions or we were talking about it in this way. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. Um, if you're going to influence their behavior, you probably don't want to have to juggle too many at one given sure. time. Yeah. 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 Because you have goals. Because that's where the empathy kind of gets broken, right? Because like you said, the Sims, if you have 100 Sims, maybe there is a favorite one, but there's probably less likely that you would have a very strong connection with more than at least one or two. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. And you don't want it to be like a, you know, like you said, you want to have this connection, you want to have empathy. And if you have too many, then it becomes a chore. And I can, I think that makes sense. And that, that's really interesting too, because like, I think a lot of games with like pet management sims, games in general go for bigger and more, right? So that you'll, they'll allow you to have more people, more pets, what have you, um, so that, you know, you have more content. But I like your approach in that, like you're making the interaction between one particular bug um more important and that's the more is that bug has more personality is more unique sure. more interesting that's cool yeah we definitely want to build like if this is your pet that you're taking care of then this is the one that you're going to have like a connection with yeah yeah, yeah that also and- separates it from uh the collect them all games yep. right the pokemon and i guess that's that i mix a lot of that up in my head because i don't have a lot of experience with this genre generally like i had a tamagotchi when they were brand new but like it, i it, I didn't then go on and, you know, become a lover of the genre. Sure. So I kind of mix it up with other types of things or even like farming sims and stuff. That kind all that I kind of met, put it all together. Mm. But that's a real big distinction. The the you you get a, the biggest team you can and maybe, you know, if you uh, after a while you collect all 150. Yeah. But that's not what this is about at all. So the question then is it's like one or two at a time you're saying. So how much of the like how many are are in the whole game roughly? And and versus how many do you expect people to to uh, to come across or raise during a playthrough? I think uh, <laughs> I'm gonna try to answer this in a way that is Keep safe. Yes, um, <laughs> there's how many bugs we want versus how many we could conceivably put in before uh, we run out of time. Right, yeah. right. Uh, so how many do we want? We want as many as we can put in there, which could be a a pretty big number. How many are we likely going to have? Enough Uh, for people to be satisfied. There you go. Yeah, Yeah, that's fair. I I, I do want to caution. Y'all don't have to spoil anything you don't want to spoil. 
Well, it's, it seems key that the player doesn't see them all. Yeah. That's right? True. Is that true? And so it kind so, of doesn't matter necessarily as long as it feels like there's more than I could conceivably care to get to know? Or... Well, how it works is basically um, you do raise one bug at a time. Yeah. Um, but like bugs in the real world, they have a short lifespan. And then once that bug passes away, you'll raise a new bug. So it'll be sequ sequentially. You mm -hmm. could hypothetically raise, you know, hundreds of bugs. Um, they are of specific species. And those species are tied to a certain, like, ecosystem in our game. Mm -hmm. um, again, don't want to... Don't want to spoil that too much, but I think the idea is that we're trying. We are trying to appeal, kind of like we said before, to different types of people. There are some people who just want to raise like a certain species of bug because they love that type. For you know, if they just want to raise rosy maple moths, you know, when they finish the end game, that can be what they do. Yeah. Other people will probably want to raise like every single type of bug. Um, and, you know, 100% the game. I mean, hopefully, if, you know, if anyone wants to 100% our game, that's a huge, you know, <laughs> right. win for us. <laughs> Ellen is game. Okay. Ellen is very game. <laughs> yeah, that's... I, think, I think I already know I'm going to get sucked into this. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe they just want to raise, yeah, they raise a bunch of rosy maple moths. Maybe they want one that's, like, super aggressive. Because, you know, why not, right? <laughs> like, you could do that. Rename it yeah. eight times or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so i think it uh it really will be determined by the player but there will be a decent variety of bugs to choose from and they will be unlocked over time so there is that mechanic mm -hmm. so the right number yeah the right number the right number of pets you know we i think we wrote down in the notes like obviously it depends but what does it depend on and it depends on a couple things right um it depends on from what you were saying you know, what is the experience that um, someone who is trying to go for volume of bugs and variety of bugs, 100%ing the game, um, what would that feel like? So that's one kind of constraint that you're thinking about. There's like, <laughs> will Beth's hands fall off? That's another one that you've yes. got to consider. I um, need those. <laughs> yeah. And like the rest of, you know, your timeline, like when you want to launch and how far away that is and what your velocity is and how many bugs per week can Beth create? You know, that kind of, that, those are just, I think, three of three constraints, but yeah. it seems like that's... Well, one, one constraint you don't have is a target number, right? And that, that seems to be part of this genre is, is like, is, there's the collect them all yeah. aspect, um, but it does seem like the systems of a game like this are not designed so that every bug represents a specific percentage of the total amount of bugs there are. Like you, so you can kind of just keep adding them as you as, as much time as you have, right? I can't, I can't. I mean, I don't have a great grand familiarity with the genre, but I don't think there's a lot that where the design of the gameplay puts a cap on it, or even a minimum. Yeah. No. Right. And that is by design because um, we it is kind of TBD how mm -hmm. many we are going to add, and you know, of course, there is that dream that. You know, if our game sells well, maybe we could add more bugs, you know, in the future. But obviously don't want to, like, mm -hmm. promise that at all. But, right. you know, um, yeah, I think there is a difference between how many we can add versus how many we will add. And we also are taking player feedback um, into account. Like, 
when you sign up for our mailing list, you can actually put down what is your favorite, uh, what is your favorite bug? And we actually do keep track of that. We actually have an Excel spreadsheet where we have everyone's favorite bug and we've kind of like <laughs> ranked them in terms of like how many people have said they like a mantis versus a moth. Um, so that that also will at least somewhat determine um, which bugs actually make it into the game. Mm-hmm. Giant millipede. I'm just saying that out loud, not for any reason. <laughs> there, there are a non-zero number of people who have said giant millipede. So. Okay. All right. I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you yourself are a non-zero number, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's that time of year again where we... I know. Christmas is such a bummer for you, isn't it, Stephen? That's not what I mean. (laughs) I love Christmas. I love holidays. But uh, that also means that we need to take some time, spend it with friends and family outside of just this podcast. Um, And so we are going to be on hiatus, as we talked about last week. Right. Every year we get sick of each other, (laughs) and we need to take a couple of weeks off. (laughs) Anyway, so this is our last episode before hiatus. Yes. So we thought we'd use the middle of the program, the area we call the Bloor, um, to uh, talk a little bit um, about what's coming up Mm -hmm. and also what you can do to keep in touch with us in the meantime. Yeah. uh, So we will have um, a bunch of nice replays, which are... Uh, episodes from the past year, a little bit longer than that, a little bit past that, I think, too, um, that we really enjoyed. We really thought that they would be good good uh, episodes for you to re-listen to or listen to for the first time if you didn't get a chance to listen to it the first time. Yeah, a couple of greatest hits. We found in past years um, that listeners really do appreciate the chance to uh, catch up on one they missed mm-hmm. um, or to uh, to hear again some of the stuff, some of the ones that we thought were the best ones of the year. So, yeah. um, uh, uh, Dale helped us pick them um, yes. this year. Um, so mostly curated by her, but, um, but we were all in wide agreement with the pick she made. Mm-hmm. Um, good stuff. So t- stay tuned for that. And we talk a little bit about each one at the top uh, of it. So you'll hear from us. Um, describing why we picked it as well. So yeah. it's, it's worth it just for that alone. A little extra content. Uh, to keep it going. But if that's not enough for you uh, to stay with the Nice Games Club community, you can also what, Stephen? Also go to our Discord. You can find it at nicegames.club slash Discord um, and keep in contact with us there uh, and also with the community as well. Uh, you know, we're a lot of people are active there um, and it's a fun time. We have a lot of cool conversations. And even more so now that we have, we don't have necessarily have to record. We have more time to be on the Discord. <laughs> That's true. Every year during a hiatus, we're like, oh, "What are we going to use hiatus for?" We do some maintenance. We yeah. sort of spruce up the website. We we brainstorm the the year ahead. Mm. And we always, at least the last year, we've resolved like, "Let's not work too hard. We're taking a break. Let's take a break." Right. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if we can manage it this year. Mm. Um, but we'll definitely be there on the Discord to say hello. Yes. And talk about the latest happenings and uh, talk about the episodes uh, that come out in the meantime. Um, or anything from this past year, or anything at all that you want to talk about. Yeah, it's your community. It absolutely is. Um, yeah. Well, we'll we'll miss you over the next few weeks, but uh, know that we will be back soon. It'll be like we never left because you'll have been listening to our episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and in the meantime, you still have the back half of this episode where Ellen gushes about bugs for another half hour. Does that sound about right? Bugs. <laughs> Thank you.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba. So that the that cuteness quality is. I mean, that's that. I mean, it's kind of obvious, right? You want to make it palatable and enjoyable. But I think what it's doing is it's taking that. Because there are bug people, right? Ellen's okay. a bug person. My wife's a bug person. Um, former host Martha's a bug person. Yes. Uh, there are a lot of bug people in my life. And the thing about it is that all of those feelings that you're describing you want to convey, those are real feelings people have about real bugs. And so it's not so much that you're going to take a gross thing and make it cute. It's really you're just you're sort of abstractly extracting those feelings that bug people have and letting everybody enjoy it. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, or even like we're trying to educate people about bugs and, and teaching them things that maybe they don't know about a specific bug that makes them seem um, more interesting and more approachable. Um, little things like found out semi-recently that, you know, what we call potato bugs here in California, Jerusalem crickets would be the other name. Um, if you don't know what that is, look them up. Try not to get too freaked out because they're they're large and a little bit intimidating. Um, but you know, they like one of their features is that when they are looking for a mate, they actually take their, their, they basically just bang their butts on the ground really fast and it becomes like a little drum solo. Huh. And it's, a, it's amazing. Like you would never think upon looking at that bug. And I grew up with them. Like I did not know this fact. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. And I just find it, it interesting. It kind of, uh, makes them for me, it makes them cuter just because of that one action that they do that I had no idea about. Yeah. I'm just now picturing a, I didn't know they did that either. And now I've just got this bug twerking in my head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. YouTube. Check that out. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oh, I guess fun. that is like the good point. Like we're actually just showing bugs how we view them anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I was never like I was never afraid of bugs. Right. That was not a thing. They were always there, ever present because they are. Um, but I was never too freaked out. They were just they were just bugs. And actually, it was interesting to me when people would express that they had these horrible fears about bugs and they were icky. And I I, I guess I understand it because it's. They are uh, fairly alien, but they're also incredibly important. Mm-hmm. 
we would not be here if they were not here. And, you know, when you get really close to a bug, really, really close to one, you, they, they're so fascinating. Mm -hmm. And they lead such fascinating lives. I would love for people to, to do some research and to find a certain amount of love for these things. They're, they're just, they're so interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I am a bug person. So I grew up as a bug person. And uh, people thought I was weird. And so I know that there are pro there are people who were also th called weird who mm. would love to play a game that has cute bugs in them. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose you you also can't discount the amount of non-bug people who wouldn't mind like play acting a bug person in a video game, right? Exactly. I, like I think that's we've had people you know. with, uh, with genuine phobias like reach out to us and oh, say wow. like, you know, this I'm a little I'm afraid this is a difficult game for me to play, but this you know I'm hoping that this will make things easier for me outside of the game. Wow. So that's great. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. That's that's cool that somebody would that the game is so appealing to somebody that they would risk they would risk their fears in order to play it. That's jeez. That's that's not a ring endorsement for a game. I don't know what is. <laughs> well it's interesting though, right? Like I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a therapist, but you know from what I understand, like with exposure therapy, mm. one of the things that you're trying to do is like engage with the fear with a phobia in a safe environment in a controlled environment yeah. in a way that like pushes you a little bit but not over the edge yeah and the distance that you guys have created with the cuteness with the visual design with the with the sound design and with you know going going at the characters of the bugs with this like focus on curiosity and empathy is a way i think for that to i mean to be psychologically safe and not so, you know, tactile and immediate as in like something's touching you, right? And it's also, you know, you do control it as a player. You can always put the system down and yeah. walk away. So it, it actually, it makes sense to me that someone would find that to be a useful experience or would be, would expect to find it to be a useful experience. Um, I'm really curious, like, you know, 12 months down the road or however many months you guys have on your roadmap. Um, once it comes out, just to, to see kind of how people react to that, if they are playing with one of those, with that as one of their goals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it feels to me that yeah. that's something that uh, someone would need to bring to the experience. Mm. Because one of the things that fantasy worlds can do is have the opposite effect, which is to give you an idea of something and that, that warps what the what what it is in the real world. It gives you these false impressions. Um, but if you bring to it this notion of le of that abstract quality of it and that the, the game itself is presenting itself that way to you then you can take the feelings you that you that you get in it and bring them with you out to the real world ah uh, yeah um you know it rather than take the, that fictional world and, and paint that over top of the real world mm -hmm. so it's still up to the player right and it's not necessarily the duty of the developer to stop a player from doing it one way or the other but guiding them towards one path or the other if they bring that intention to it um i think it's pretty uh, can be very powerful and moving for people. It's one of the things games can do. Um, I think about like a game like Nintendogs, which is another yeah. pet simulator game that is based on reality. Mm -hmm. um, that 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 people learn facts about dogs when they play that game. Yeah. Um, and uh, that is distinct from like uh, sort of the the games with genetics, the sort of monster type games. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder what players of the genre feel about that dichotomy. Um, mm. 
like it, it what what is the what is the general consensus of the of the player base um of these types of games do they put them in two buckets or do they just sit, they put them all together and they're, they're all they all enjoy them all like what what is the what's the serve you know have you i mean the players that you've gotten feedback from are they people who play these types of games in your experience playing them um is is the the something you different how people sort these different types of different approaches to the genre well i think that they're there are different buckets of people who are interested in playing our game. So I think it's a little hard to say. We do have people who are kind of the hardcore digital pet um, gamers yeah. who have certain expectations like around genetics and, you know, um, breeding and stuff like that. But then there also are just a lot of people who want to play with cute bugs because they, they like bugs. And yeah, even that subset of people who like who are interested in the exposure therapy aspect of it. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I don't think we necessarily have a definitive answer unless you do. No, I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not, I mean, it's, I mean, you're not in the business of collecting data to answer that question. Right. Um, but as a, as a, someone familiar with the genre yourself, is it, is it, um, I mean, you made this in, in a way as uh, to, to not have those genetics, to be a little bit more, uh, have some uh, factual quality to it, um, in spite of the abstract, you know, presentation that you're bringing to it, um, is that a response that you have to the state of the genre? I would say so. I mean, I think digital pet games, kind of like any other genre, are varied. Mm -hmm. So, for example, there is Neko Atsume, yeah, which yeah. I love, and that game is, you know, very relaxing no genetics you just you it you can't even really play it for more than like a couple minutes at a time so you come back and like see which cats are playing with the food and whether or not you know you have silver and goldfish from them so that's one one type of game and then there's another type of game for example wobble dogs which i got super addicted to that you can actually play like for hours and hours on end and you can keep breeding you can keep breeding dogs to have like five different wings and like <laughs> two heads and like, you know, tons of like 10 dogs at a time. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say that it actually isn't like a homogeneous genre. Yeah. You know, just like any sort of genre, like RPG platformer, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd like to think that ours is kind of in between um, a Neko Atsume versus a Wobble Dogs kind of thing. Like it, it is something that you will uh, pick up and put down, but we do have gameplay that you could be like playing like a decent amount of time with, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting uh, question. Uh, I know a, a number of these games have like a real time mechanic to it where like things will change mm -hmm. over the course of a certain amount of hours that you're not playing the game. Um, does this, does your game have that element? And if it does, I'm curious as to why or why not. Uh, yeah, so our our um, game is real-time. It's okay. actually uh, tied to your um, device's system clock, okay. essentially. So we will have, the bug will have a bedtime. There will be a day-night cycle. That's great. That you will experience. And some bugs have, like, a later or earlier, like, um, bedtime. We are experimenting with the idea of doing nocturnal bugs oh. as well. So, so we are we are using that mechanic pretty heavily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, still trying to figure out how we can have nocturnal but not expect the player to be a nocturnal. Exactly. Right, right. 
like there's something really appealing about that. Like you, you know, you wake up at three in the morning, or or you, or there's some scenario in your life that you're up at four in the morning. Uh, I can relate. Um, and there's something like, oh, well, that there you can you can enjoy some content you would normally get. But yeah, you you also don't want to encourage people to uh to to get that by making it like feel like it's unlockable if I you know, stay up past my bedtime. Yeah. Right. Um, that's a real tough balance, right? We, we've been talking about idle games in a, a couple of episodes recently and like the, the ethical quandaries around the, the type of compulsion gaming. Um, and so it, that seems like something you're, t- you're, you're tackling a little bit um, on your end. Yeah. I mean, it's something we are very cognizant of. Um, for example, your bug can't die if you put the system down for a couple hours. They only die of old age. Because that is something that we we didn't want you to be having essentially a panic attack if you had to, you know, go to the grocery store for a couple hours and you weren't able to, like, check on your bug. Right. Um, so that was, like, a deliberate choice. Yeah. Or am I petting the bug incorrectly, so therefore is the bug going to die? Because that's messed yeah. up, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Do that. No bug squishing. No bug squishing. No bug squishing. No bug, squishing. No bug fighting. No bug squishing. Yeah, at the same time though, right, having the bug like persist in its world when you are not playing the game makes it really I mean, it adds to the characterization yeah, that we've been yeah. talking about the entire yeah. time, right? So, it totally makes sense, but I'm also glad that you put some rails on it because I wouldn't want to hug my bug to death or <laughs> forget to feed yeah. my bug. Yeah, that would yeah, be very it, sad. Will it influence the bug's behavior? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Mm, that's cool. Yes. Yeah. That will it will influence it, but it won't be to the point where you're worried about your bug passing away. Yeah. That's so. cool. I like that it, that it's not a failure state if you like raise the bug wrong. It's just the bug changes based off of your the treatment of it. I think that's that's really good cuz like I mean it 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 allows the player to engage with it in a way that makes sense for them. Yeah. But it also prevents them from just like gaming it out i think in a way which is really cool right the game doesn't tell you you failed you just yeah. got to look at yourself in the mirror and like yourself <laughs> i guess yeah right did, did i raise them right right <laughs> well that you you mentioned a couple times things you don't want to reveal necessarily both yeah. in terms of content and in terms of mechanics so to steven's point that that thing that is especially games that people spend a lot of time with they really want to figure it out like it's clockwork and so how are you, some games, some gamers really like that. They appreciate that in the game, like it, that it's figure outable. They can understand all the systems and mechanics and then they can maximize their, their efficiency with it. And then some gamers don't like when those things are surfaced because then it feels not realistic or something. And I can imagine people who, who engage in this genre are of both types. Yeah. Um, how are you approaching that? Either trying to let players learn the systems or to prevent them from discovering the systems. Oh, it's we're walking a really fine line and we're trying to figure it out as we go mm-hmm. because there's this like, how can we give you the amount of information you need to play our game without giving you so much information that it's just not fun and yeah. you're just looking at graphs and charts and it's we do a lot with uh, like emotions and trying to do things that are like uh, visual pop ups. But even those are at times fairly uh, ambiguous in terms of their meaning. And I think you just have to play to kind of figure out how the bug is changing each time those sort of warnings come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we do have level progression. So, you know, there is there are objectives. Like, to actually progress 
in the game, you will need to raise bugs with certain personality traits. Mm. And once you actually um, meet those requirements and you get to essentially the next level, new traits will, will unlock and you'll actually be able to discover those through trial and error. Um, we're definitely, so we're actually in the process of gathering alpha testers because we really want to see if this um, this is the the right path forward because I think it is kind of, to Beth's point, we are towing like a fine line between between the the two opposite ends. Yeah. Um, but that's where we're headed right now. Uh, would it be all right if we if is there a link where someone could sign up for an alpha test, such as Ellen? Ellen's very interested. I'm sure. <laughs> could you send a link to Ellen? <laughs> you just got done Definitely. collecting all those dragons, so <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, we'll post it in the Discord uh, after this. Cool. If that's helpful. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll we'll post we'll post in our show notes, uh, so folks can yeah. sign on to it. Yeah. Uh, that you brought up something that I thought was interesting. I didn't think about this until just now, but bugs don't have expressive faces like humans do. So it's I imagine it would be difficult for you to be able to, as a player, it would be difficult for me to determine if this beetle is happy or sad or angry um at any moment um how do you go about expressing emotions um you know a lot of uh i'd say subtle animation but i still can't do things like oh you know it's smiling right yeah it's not smiling. yeah but, right yeah. like how do those mandibles create a smile yeah uh, <laughs> it's, it's gonna be things like yeah a little pop-up that shows I don't know, like like if it's in any way irritated, is it going to have like the stereotypical anime swirly anger? I don't know how else to describe right. that effect. Or yeah. is it going to have, you know, the sweat drops and things of that nature? So we try to lean into sort of the uh, the, the pop culture idea of how to, one would express an emotion. Okay. Yeah. Uh, visually. Um, well, there's also yeah, of- there's the the there's a lot that the pl- a player will bring to it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, cats don't smile. Yeah, but that doesn't stop cat owners from, from like ascribing emotions that they see in their cats, right? Right, right. right. Um, like dogs don't smile either, even though they look like they do. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, uh, they're maybe a little bit more expressive than cats are. Mm. But um, I think that there's 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 a lot to be mined from those subtle things that you're talking about, without necessarily having to go all you know, um, DreamWorks animation with it. Yeah, right. right? I think that's actually a great point too, because we've been we've been playtesting in person as well, mm-hmm. and we've actually heard multiple people like when the bug is kind of scooting back and forth pretty quickly, they're like, "Oh, this bug is like reacting to X Y Z mechanic, yeah. right?" When like that logic actually didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So then we added that logic, so now the bug can get zoomies based on you know <laughs> what's happening with it at any given time. So nice. that actually. Yeah, the player's reaction actually sometimes gives us inspiration as to whether or not we should make a behavior more deliberate. That's adorable. Sometimes they just create their whole narrative. Yeah. It's just like, this is great. Yes. This is what we wanted. We wanted this. We want them to be able to come up with this this backstory for this, this little bug. Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. They're doing. It's, it's just, it's great. I mean, truly, the, the less you define for the player, the more that they'll make up themselves. Um, you, you just got to give them enough of a hook to to start telling that story for themselves, right? Right. Yep. My cool. my giant millipede left home at a young age <laughs> with only only a small packet and became an adventurer 
Mm-hmm. Okay. I've already got started. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they became, maybe they multi-classed into Bard. Multi-classed into Bard. Uh, I'll work on it. I'll workshop it some more. Giant yeah. millipede Bard. <laughs> oh. I mean, yeah, lots would of- love to hear some backstories. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll let you know once I have it completely mm-hmm. completely written out. Yeah. Well, I mean, about those those hooks that that Ellen can craft whole narratives out of. <laughs> um, that like one thing about having a lot of the uh, pets is you want to have them all be distinct. Yeah. In uh, not just visually, but in how they how they work, right? And and the systems that you're describing to us, it seems as though uh, a lot of what makes each particular pet unique is down to how the players interact with them. Mm-hmm. But I imagine also that each type of bug um, also has uh, has different amounts of those systems in play. Uh, however, it is that you define that alchemy. Um, what, how how big a variety do you want in that? And is it possible to go too far to have some some pets behave too much in this way versus that way, as opposed to setting let, letting the player decide how they want their bug to be? If that makes sense. Um, so right now we do, so every specific bug type has essentially a range based on their personality, based on a personality. So we do add a little bit of RNG to add a little bit of variation. Yeah. However, for example, like we can go back to the mantis. Okay. So, so say like there's an underlying sort of aggression value that we have for a bug to act a certain way for a mantis, you know, not to give it hard, hard numbers, but say the mantis can be anywhere from 75 to hundred, mm-hmm. right? So anywhere in that range, you can assign that to the mantis when basically the egg is hatched. And then later on the player, based on the actions, that number can either go up or down. Um, and then for example, like the ice pod, maybe the aggression meter is between, you know, zero and 25. And again, the player can like impact it one way or another. Um, and again, that's what we're doing now. Um, and I think through alpha testing, we'll really be able to see whether or not that's effective or if we need to make their personalities even more over the top or more subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, Right. It's you, you still can, a work in progress. Yeah, you can have all this emergent behavior, but if it's but if the players never see it or see signs of it, mm-hmm. then yeah, you might need to pull those levers a little bit more uh, in one direction or the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that you interact with the, the way that the player interacts with the pets are all different. Yes, because like a praying mantis, you said is a hunter, right? So I assume the praying mantis eats meat. I don't know a lot about praying mantises. Okay. Uh, but like an ant would not eat meat or do they eat meat? I don't know enough about animals. Okay. They eat meat. Okay. never mind. <laughs> but there are different way- things you can feed them and different ways you can, I imagine different ways you can pet them and things like that too, right? Yeah. So every bug has a specific food type that actually is their real world food type. So a mantis would eat meat. You know, uh, our isopod eats leaves, which is, you know, detritus. Um, and yeah, how they interact with food would be different. Um, so, for example, if you're trying to tease, like, the mantis with the food, maybe you get angry, right? And it'll try to, like, try to, like, launch it down, right? Yeah. But maybe with an isopod, the isopod would just sit there and be sad. It'd be like, oh, okay, I want my Aww. food, but I'm not going to go after it, you know? Um yeah. So we are trying to um, have those be pretty obvious differences, 
but again, I think a lot of it is going to come down to player feedback as as to whether or not they can make that connection. And if they can't, then we need to probably retool some things. So yeah, like I'm I'm excited to see how people deal with the idea that like yeah, you can pet an isopod, but good luck petting the mantis. <laughs> like that's going to take a little bit of persuasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. the um, uh, Beth, you mentioned uh, mini games mm. as as a as a, yes. a component to sort of like uh, bring you into the genre. Is that something that's that's related to some of these behaviors of interactions? So like petting the the mantis, that would be an interesting mini game where it would be a lot easier for a different kind of bug, or 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 is or is it an, uh, implemented in another way? It's in a different way. Mm. So a lot of the, the mini games are not necessarily tied to the the behavior of the bug, but it's going to be more like um, what would be a normal, what would you call it, like a bug behavior in general? So it'd be mm. things like, if we have one game that's just, it's just the isopod and platforms, and it's done um, kind of like the old arcade game Stacker. I'm sure many people have played that. Ah. It's just like you, you build, keep the platform in the center till you reach the very top. Um, and for that one, it's just isopod, move forward, isopod, don't fall off ledge, that's bad. <laughs> Um, so those are the those are those sort of mini games, but it's not like this ice this isopod has a, a fear of heights because for some reason that's that's how you you instill this thing in them. Therefore, they they're bad at that game. Mm -hmm. um, so the mini games that we have right now are just it's more. So in a lot of these older digital pet games, there were ways to play with your pet. Yeah, but it was usually like if you go far, far back enough, it's more like you press the play button, hooray, good job, you've played with your pet because yeah. an animation played, which is not terribly interesting. Mm -hmm. So we added the mini games as a way for you to to literally play with your pet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. You're gonna play a mini game, and that's gonna be the sort of thing that I love. And you know, trying to find a balance where it's like, okay, I can enjoy this mini game, and someone who's not really into mini games or twitchy games can still find enjoyment in it and just playing with the bug whether or not you fail still counts as you playing with the bug right right so the actual like the gameplay of those things is not it's not vital to the progression itself it's just that you did it at all right like exactly. and, and you described it exactly it's just playing with your pet is is enough mm -hmm. so spending time with them right that's that's right. that's a really good real world analog as well to how you would behave with a real pet right yep. it, um like it doesn't really matter if they caught five out of six uh, tennis balls. Like it does not matter, right? Right. That's interesting. Brandon, you might get a special treat if mm. you do a really good job in the mini game, which is slightly different. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, if you play with the bug, you have played with the bug, and that's what matters. And that's that's an interesting challenge too, because like I'm imagining, you know, games that are designed for parents to play with their kids, oftentimes. The kids are the ones having fun and the parents are enjoying it because their kids are happy, but they're not enjoying it because the game is fun. So uh, they uh, so like this, I, I'm, the bug is probably going to enjoy itself regardless of how uh, what it's doing. So I think you get to design a game that is fun for the player. As right. The goes. player can play a mini game, not and they're not the type of person who loves that sort of mini game. Yeah. Like the duty of it to their pet can bring some sort of satisfaction for Yeah, exactly. It's a neat little hack, actually. Yeah, it works, it works both ways as a yeah, result. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. It sounds like where you're at is where you are looking for uh, player feedback. Like it seems like you have a lot of things that you've put into the game, but I'm hearing in a couple of places that you're still looking for validation as to the systems working or working together. 
So what is that process of gathering alpha testers? Um, you know, what techniques have you used? How's it going so far? And what's the next step? So we have, I mean, so you met us at GDC and that was essentially our first live play test. Mm -hmm. And so we've had probably about four or five since then. Every single time we have new features, we take notes, you know, about what players have found confusing, what they liked, so on and so forth. Um, but really our goal right now is to get alpha testers to get our demo ready for Steam. That is our next that's our next uh, hurdle. We have our Steam page up. Next step is demo. Um, so right now we actually have, you know, a Google form that we're using to collect alpha testers, and then we'll have uh, a Discord for them to basically give their thoughts, maybe report issues. Um, and so that's really our next step is to basically run an alpha testing um, like cohort and. When it's ready, then we'll get the demo out. And of course, we'll get much broader feedback at that point. I think for us, a lot of these, a lot of the systems that we're that we want to put in, there's not necessarily an exact formula that exists out there that we know works. Yeah. Um, so we are going to need to get, I mean, and that's good and bad, right? So we will need to get some feedback. For example, I mean. No shade here, but like if you do like a Metroidvania and you get a sword, like people know that oh, there's a sword. I use it this way. That's how it works, right? Yeah. Um, with some of our systems, it may not be quite as um, immediately recognizable, and that's really what we're trying to like work on yeah. right now. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll get a, uh, whatever links you send us. We'll definitely put it in the show notes. Yes. Um, but is there anywhere uh, else that you want to say on air where people can go and find information about uh, the two of you or uh, your game or anything else that you'd like to share? I would say if you start on our website, bugaboopocket.com, you can sign up for our mailing list there. And that's where you know, if we do have any sort of beta tests or alpha testing that we need, we would be reaching out. Mm -hmm. And they can sign up right there on the website. And we'll also give you a link to the alpha form, alpha testing form directly. Awesome. And yeah, if people can wishlist on Steam, that would help us out a that lot. Great. The big help for developers is to have a lot of wish listing. Um, so they, yeah. they yes. know how many people are interested too, and it keeps them motivated to keep working on the game. So yeah, and wishlists have like an algorithmic effect. So yes, like, you know, too. like our developer audience, like, you know, let's all just wishlist each other's games. Yeah, <laughs> like <let's, laughs> just, just so we can all survive out there in the in the, in the wilderness. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you both for joining us. This has been a fantastic discussion. Yeah. And I know Ellen is. Uh, I'm just guessing, extremely excited to get a, a crack at that alpha. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excited to have you if you if you choose to, and you'll have an access to our exclusive Discord if you do that. Oh. More yeah. bugs, Alan. More bugs. More bugs. You know, I don't, <laughs> we're kind of leaning towards wrapping up the episode. I can kind of feel it, but we missed one really major question. Oh, oh yeah, the most important. The question. most important question. Right, right, right. What is your favorite bug? Not just in the game, like in the world. What's your favorite bug in the world? <laughs> okay, so my favorite bug is actually the surf and fly. And the reason is I'm looking it up. that surfing flies actually mimic bees. And so when you actually look at a flower, a lot of the um, bee-like 
insects around it are actually flies. And I love that because people always associate flies with like buzzing around your face, like eating poop and stuff like that. Yeah. But these are actually super important to the environment and they're really cute. And so that's why I like them. Uh, and my favorite would be uh, a caddis fly, another type of fly, mm -hmm. of course. Uh, and that one's interesting because it actually will take um, detritus that it finds and uh, little pebbles and anything it finds on the ground and usually in like riverbeds. And it'll construct uh, almost in a, I can only describe it as almost like a hermit crab kind of fashion, its own little home. Mm -hmm. So anything that just happens to be in the area becomes, it's like, it encases its whole body in it. Huh. And it's wonderful. So, you know, if it finds like any fool's gold or anything like that, like that will become part of its body. <laughs> wow. True. It's, they're amazing. Weird. That's neat. You guys chose really interesting bugs. <laughs> We spent a lot of time deep in the, the bug weeds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the depths of the bug internet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> finding yes. all the finding all the golden little bug facts. Mm -hmm. We will uh we will link to those bugs and all the other bugs mentioned on this episode in the show notes. Cool. Thanks. That's our show. For show notes and links on today's topics, bugs. Go to our website, nicegames.club. Visit us on Twitter and or Mastodon at Nice Games Club, where Dale tweets about game dev resources, or is it Toot for Mastodon? Yes. I think I went over this last week. Anyway, where, where Dale tweets and toots about game dev resources and hidden, in, hidden, in, hidden animation loops. We like hearing from you, so write back or email us, contact at nicegames.club. I'm already tripping over this outro, and I know you guys have like a nasty thing at the end, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Nice Games Club is on Patreon. Support the show and get stuff. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. Next week, we will be starting our hiatus. So there will be a nice new nice replay to listen to. <laughs> Your tortured reading of that kind of ruined it. <laughs> yeah. I'll try it again. Next week. No, no, no. No, it's fine. <laughs> As this is all right. Yeah. People know us. But that's it for this week. <laughs> so until we start again, remember to play nice and bake nice. last outro of the year yeah <laughs> no we went out on a high note of yeah, course. yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh, oh, get ahead of postage rate increases this year with stamps.com it's like your own personal post office sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts that's stamps.com code program as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.